it's ironic, but ultimately the experience of having my heart broken, I feel like opened me up to being more capable of love. The experience of being more authentic leads to greater intimacy with everyone, you know, people you care about in your life and even people you don't care about. I mean, you feel more empathetic. I feel like I became a better listener. I became a better friend. I became a better mother. And that's really what it's all about. Florence Williams is a science journalist and a longtime adventurer. If she sounds familiar, it's because she's been on this show before. Florence is known for examining the relationship between nature and our mental health. Today, she's talking about her new book, Heartbreak, a personal and scientific journey. After going through her own painful divorce, Florence started to investigate the impact of breakups on our brains and bodies. She interviewed health practitioners and scientists to explore the questions, how does heartbreak physiologically affect our bodies? And how can going outside help us heal? Her new book, Heartbreak, is about adventure, but it's also filled with science, sex, and a little bit of drugs, topics that make this episode not so suitable for the kids in your life. Quick disclaimer, this episode contains conversations about drug use in a therapeutic setting. The content shared in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes and does not constitute medical advice. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. Florence is the author of the best-selling books, The Nature Fix and Breasts, A Natural and Unnatural History. She's a contributing editor at Outside Magazine and a freelance writer for the New York Times, National Geographic, Slate, and more. On Wild Ideas Worth Living, relationships and romance aren't our usual subject matter. But I love love. Behind the scenes of the podcast, I'm always matchmaking or asking people where they met their partner. And we all know you can't have love without a little heartbreak. With Florence's background in research and journalism, she approaches this topic in her book through the lens of science and nature. I think what I liked so much about this book that everybody needs to read, Heartbreak, Personal and Scientific Journey, is it's the first adventure book I've ever read that has sex, drugs, <laughs> river rafting, and it's fun and beautiful and there's so much scientific evidence. So can we just go back and um, fill everybody in? What was the inspiration for this book? It's so different than the other books you've written. Well, I think it is and it isn't. Um, you know, as as a journalist, as a science journalist, as someone who writes books, I think, it, you know, this is my third book. And in all of my books, there is kind of a first person narrator, you know, who is me who is asking questions about why I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing um, so, and using myself as sort of a proxy for a lot of other people. You know, it's not just like, hey, I want to ask these questions about myself. It's like a lot of us are facing these kinds of issues. Um, what do they say about ourselves and our world, right? And so uh, in, in my first book, I found out that there were industrial pollutants, you know, in our bodies, specifically in my breast milk as I was nursing my daughter um, and that launched a whole book about, um, you know, reproductive health and breast health and how modern life has changed our health. But again, I sort of used myself and my body as a proxy for talking about those, those questions. 
Um, and, and my second book, The Nature Fix, you know, was also about why do I feel sort of horrible <laughs> when I'm in a really busy, dirty, grimy city, even though there are a lot of things I like about cities. But I definitely, you know, I felt the psychological shift, right? And so that was a big book asking the questions about how our external landscapes get reflected in our internal landscapes. So both of those were really about these kind of unspoken or unseen connections between the world around us, these external factors and our bodies. And so in a lot of ways, this heartbreak book, uh, you know, I think is, is similar. I mean, I experienced, you know, albeit a more dramatic event in my own life when my husband of 25 years decided he didn't want to be married anymore. And in fact, he wanted to look for, in his words, a soulmate, you know, and to hear that was like, you know, devastating and shocking and stunning. But, but what was, and I had never experienced it before, honestly, because I had met him when I was 18. So I had been sort of, um, in some ways, you know, protected, I guess, from, from many of the big emotions of the heart, not having, you know, dated, you know, in my twenties or whatever. Um, but my body really registered that pain in a way that made the science journalist in me go, what the heck is going on? And what does this say about our immune systems and the way our emotions, um, you know, make our bodies function? What did you do to research your heartbreak? And is there any specific scientific examples you can share in how our body physically changes and registers things differently? And, and I'd really be curious if you could talk about maybe some of the studies. Yeah. So there's, there's not a ton of science on what happens when love ends. You know, there's, there's quite a bit of science on what happens when we're falling in love. <laughs> you know, I think researchers mm. like to study that, you know, it's interesting and fun. And um, um, so there are some, you know, brain studies looking at like the dopamine and the serotonin and the nice oxytocin flowing between partners. Um, so I, I did one of the first interviews I had actually just maybe about five weeks after the split, after my husband left was with biological anthropologist, Helen Fisher. And she's someone who's, who's written a lot and done a lot of those research studies about your brain on love. But she also is one of the few people that's looked at, um, dumped people, <laughs> people who've been dumped by their beloveds and she's put them in a scanner. And so you know, I, I ran into her actually at a conference in Aspen and I was like, oh my God, Helen, will you please talk to me? Because my 25 year marriage just exploded. And she was like, of course, honey, I will talk to you. Come, come, you know, come, come talk to me. And she, she couldn't have been nicer. It was so, it was just really, um, it was fun to talk to her. She's kind of, she's 20 years older than I am. She's really maternal. She was really warm. She she validated. I love this part of your book. Yeah, she's 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 a character in my book. So you know, she told me that there are certain um, parts of our brains that light up when we're experiencing heartbreak, and these are um, specifically the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex and the uh, and our insula. So what's interesting about that is those are also the parts of our brains that register physical pain. So, you know, we hear about heartbreak as sort of a metaphor, you know, it hurts, it hurts, but, but actually our brains do register it the same way or a similar way, not exactly the same, but a similar way that they register pain. Um, so, you know, 
she just validated what I was going through. And she said, I can tell you why you're not sleeping. I can tell you why you're losing all this weight all of a sudden that you don't want to lose. You know, I can tell you why you feel so freaked out. And she talked to me a lot about, you know, the nervous system and about how humans evolved um, in group settings because we feel safe in groups. And so when we're sort of kicked out of a relationship, it feels to us like we have been left out on the veldt <laughs> by ourselves and like we're about to be pounced upon by a predator. So that's why the sleeplessness, that's why the anxiety, that's why I felt like I'd been plugged into an electrical socket. Our nervous system doesn't really distinguish between when you're actually alone in the jungle versus, you know, when your primary attachment partner, you know, has of 25 years has taken off. It's a really similar feeling of being unsafe and being afraid. There was even something in your book, I remember, and I'm going to butcher this, so sorry, but like physical heart attack. Yes. Like was a symptom of heartbreak. Yeah. So so that's a really interesting story. I did not have a heart attack, but I found out about a condition called Takotsubo cardiomyopathy, which is kind of a literal heartbreak. And it happens when, uh, after someone has experienced a big emotional blow, such as a death or a heartbreak, they're bodies release so much norepinephrine and stress hormones that it stuns their heart in a way that a quadrant of their heart, the left ventricle, balloons out and can't beat anymore. And so about, I think about um, five to 10% of all heartbreaks are actually this kind of emotionally driven heartbreak called Takotsubo. And I met a woman who's 41 years old, whose boyfriend had left her and gotten another woman pregnant. And oh. she had one of these crazy heart attacks. She's okay. Fortunately, um, most people do survive this kind of heart attack, although 20% of people will go on to have, you know, some complications from it later on. So, I mean, that's just one of the many ways. I think there, there was um, William Farr, who was this 19th century physician. He said, the tragedies of life are largely arterial. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, he knew, right, that tragedies we experience do get reflected literally in our arteries and our veins and our heart. Florence felt the impact of her heartbreak, both emotionally and physically. After her husband left, she lost an unhealthy amount of weight and she developed two autoimmune diseases, including type one diabetes. Her right eye was twitching a lot and sometimes she even got heart palpitations. There was a part of her book that really stood out to me. A few months after her divorce, Florence visited her acupuncturist, Bernie. Bernie could feel the tension in her body, and he asked Florence if she was still in shock. She didn't know shock could last that long. What Bernie told her next really stuck with me. The body doesn't lie. It's so wild how heartbreak is such a big emotion that can result in such big physical changes. I think that's like the thing that blew me away so much in your book. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we tend to think of heartbreak as being sort of a psychological thing. You know, it's sad. Like you're really sad. You're bummed out. It's in your brain. It's all in your head. Um, and it just blew me away. <laughs> like you said, how how much our bodies sort of take this on. And, and for me, I told you about the sleeplessness and the weight loss, but um, I also got sick. You know, I ended up in the emergency room. I 
had this weird um, like blood sugar um, spike. I got diagnosed with um, type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune disease. Uh, and I talked to people who, who said, yeah, you know, we think that there is often actually an emotional trigger for this kind of um, type 1 diabetes and also other autoimmune diseases. Um, and then, so the, the other thing we did that was really cool for this book is that I worked with an immunogeneticist. Oh, immunogeneticist. Immuno, say that That's a cool 10 word. times fast. Immunogeneticist. And sometimes he calls himself a neuroimmunogeneticist. <laughs> so I don't know how many letters that has in it, but it's a lot. Anyway, his name is Steve Cole. He works at UCLA. And he's kind of made his career by studying um, people who consider themselves lonely. We know that lonely people, people who say they're lonely, have a higher rate of early death. They have um, higher rates of a bunch of diseases, including things like Alzheimer's and dementia, cardiovascular diseases. And so he, ha he, he has wanted to figure out why, like what's going on actually in their immune systems that makes them more likely to get sick and then get sicker. So he, I told him about my heartbreak and he said, why don't you come into my lab and we'll check your blood. We'll go ahead and analyze your white blood cells now and, you know, five months from now and 12 months from now. And we'll see if we'll see how your how your white blood cells look and, and if they're going to get better over time as you you know move through this experience that you've had in heartbreak. So let's talk about that. What are some of the things you did to alleviate your own heartbreak? I wanted to try things that had some scientific evidence behind them. Right. So so the book was definitely kind of still evidence driven. But there I also found that there are so many sort of prescriptions that you hear in popular culture for heartbreak that I also found weren't really helpful. You know, so I wanted to bust some myths about that. Yeah. So I undertook a bunch of interventions that were sort of science based, you know, to try to um, configure my own recovery from heartbreak. I went on this long river trip, a wilderness trip. I tried to spend a lot of time uh, in deep relationships with my friends. Um, I experimented a little bit sexually and romantically, also known to be good for one's mental health. I spent some time with other people who were undergoing their own emotional trauma to learn about what they had to teach me. And finally, I worked with a therapist um, in uh, a very, what felt like a very safe setting to use psychedelics for trauma healing. And there's one other thing, which is that I participated in an EMDR sort of workshop for people who are going through divorce. And EMDR is a kind of psychotherapy treatment that uses sort of bilateral tapping to try to decouple emotions from memory. And then, of course, with, with Steve Cole at UCLA, we were able to actually go back and check to see if some of these things that I was doing um, were going to be helpful for my immune system. So that was what's really cool about this book. You know, you and your listeners, it's not like you can just go to your doctor and you can say, hey, can you check my white blood cells for loneliness? These aren't, you know, readily available tests. But I was able to do it and then sort of tell the story in a way that I hope will be helpful to other people. <laughs> It would be cool if you could actually go to the doctor and test your white blood cells it for would. loneliness. Someday. Maybe we will get there. Um, I think we will. So what are some myths you busted real quick? Okay, well, here's, here's a sort of funny one. Um, you know, often when you've just gotten divorced, people will tell you, 
don't rush in to another relationship. Like you need to work on yourself. You need to heal. You need to love yourself. You know, you hear all this stuff. And I was like, oh, I've kind of rolled my eyes and be like, yeah, I mean. <laughs> oh, and, and then one of the one of the podcasts I listened to repeated this, and this is a piece of advice that you often hear. Like for every one year of a relationship, you should wait six months. And I was like, come on, I, that would be 12 years for me. Like I will be like literally like being spoon fed by then. Like, no, I'm not going to wait. So then I was like, well, where's the science? Where's the science that says you shouldn't go have a fling or a rebound or another relationship? And in fact, there was no science saying that. And there was science saying the opposite, that people who have been dumped (laughs) in a relationship, if they go off, if they go out and they have a rebound, and it's a rebound that feels safe, you know, with someone trustworthy, let me emphasize, that it can actually be great for their self-confidence. It can be great for their self-esteem and it can be really good for their psyche because it's a kind of a distraction and, you know, it's comforting. It's comforting to be in someone's arms who is warm and loving and, you know, can help you release the happy hormones instead of just the stress hormones. So you had some rebounds. I had, I had just, you know, for the sake of science, Shelby, I I had to go try this out. Yes. I, okay. And people, you, you, you have to read her book because, you know, she doesn't have just like boring rebounds. They're like pretty exciting. They're more exciting than most of my dates, Florence. They were more exciting, let's just say, than I expected or intended in some cases. So I have just a real quick question because the last time you dated, my mom was widowed. So she started dating again in her forties, in the late forties. And she just said, like, the last time I dated, I was, like, 19, 20. Right. So she basically had the mentality of a 20-year-old <laughs> exactly. when she dated. Exactly. So did you have the mentality yeah, of an 18-year-old totally when you dated? I totally did. That's kind of awesome. I was like, who was I before my marriage, you know? And who I was was, you know, a 17- and 18-year-old girl. <laughs> and um, I wanted to sort of reaccess her, right? Because she was, like, the last person I was before I you know, changed to sort of conform to this, you know, marriage, which is what we all do. I mean, we all sort of co-create our relationships together, but it means leaving little pieces of us behind. So I felt like it was this wonderful opportunity in some ways, although, you know, of course, a difficult opportunity to sort of rediscover, um, you know, parts of myself that maybe hadn't been expressed in my marriage. And that's a beautiful experience, really. Even though Florence's marriage was ending, in many ways, it was a beginning of a new life. Being on her own again and writing a book about it gave her an excuse to dig into research and spend time in nature. In the process, she rediscovered parts of herself that had been lost over the years. When we come back, Florence talks about why she decided to paddle down a river for 30 days, and she even spills the tea about one of her wild dates— She also leads us through the many science-based therapies that helped her heal from her divorce. In Florence's book, The Nature Fix, she writes about how nature is good for us. It's not just that we feel calmer and happier outdoors, Her research showed that being outside slows our heart rates and blood pressure and calms our nervous systems. 
She also knew that spending three days in nature can have a profound effect on the brain. Shortly after her divorce, Florence was giving a talk at a high school when she met a teacher named Julie Barnes. Julie runs an outdoor program which includes a three-day solo wilderness trip for high school seniors. Here's an excerpt about Julie Barnes from the book. She told me about how powerful the experience is for kids who are about to leave home for the first time. It strips away their usual distractions and supports and homes in on what they want to claim in their lives as they go through this transition, she said. Who do they want to be as they step across this threshold and then step back into the world? She said kids at this age are wired for deep challenges that match their energy. It's how their brains mature and learn. Without some sanctioned hardships, they risk becoming overly infantilized, delaying growing up and assuming responsibility for themselves and their communities, or they may take inappropriate, truly dangerous risks instead. Women my age, too, are wired for transition. Everything about us is changing, physically, hormonally, emotionally. Our shifting roles in culture, work, and family upend our identities, even without divorce. I told Barnes about my own reluctant transition and my desire to market, recover from it, and figure out what the hell comes next. Okay, so what what did work? Like, what are some of the things you did that really changed your chemistry? Yeah, so um, one of the first kind of big interventions that we tried was I, I knew, having written The Nature Effects, I knew that I found a lot of comfort and peace um, being outside. And in The Nature Fix book, I only talk about the science sort of up to three days, you know, like what happens to our brains when we're outside for three days, um, you know, the so-called three-day effect. Um, but I was like, this is such a big heartbreak. Like, I, I need way more than three days. Why don't I try 30 days? Why don't I go down this river for 30 days? And I, and so I did. I went on this river trip on the Green River in Utah. And I did half of that trip um, with friends and family, which was really great, including my kids. And then I did half of it solo in a canoe for through Canyonlands National Park. Um, so I, I gave Steve Cole my blood sample before, and then we did a blood sample after. And the big reveal here is that the trip was really good for me in a lot of ways. Gave me a lot of time to think, a lot of time to sort of practice my meditation skills. Um, I did access some bravery and I did learn this incredible metaphor that I could indeed paddle my own boat. You know, I could be self-reliant, I would be okay. But when we analyzed the blood, it wasn't that different from the sort of lonely blood that we saw before the river trip. So that was a surprise. I was kind of hoping the wilderness would heal me. And it started to, and it was helpful, but it wasn't, it wasn't the whole Megilla. And I think it's because, you know, of the solo piece, actually, because I was alone in the wilderness, which is a lot of great things, but it's, it's not actually that relaxing because you have to just be on high alert all the time. You know, you can't screw up. There's no one who's going to rescue you except yourself. So you can't like cut your foot in camp and you can't like light the beach on fire and you can't tie your boat in badly. And you can't, you know, you can't really even um, spill out of your boat. You can't flip over, you know, it's like, it's just, 
you taking care of yourself. And so there's kind of a state of hyper alertness there that is, you know, your nervous system is paying attention, let's just say. I didn't realize what a badass adventurer you are. Like 30 days on a river is no joke. I grew up on rivers. Um, well, it's really, it's weird, actually. I grew up in New York City. <laughs> I grew up on the Upper West Side, but my parents were divorced from an early age. And every summer, my dad would throw me in this van and we'd put two canoes on top and we would drive out west. And so, you know, running rivers, running wilderness rivers is something that is, you know, in my DNA from an early age. And uh, in my marriage, you know, my husband and I continued to do a lot of river trips and we did them with our kids. And I guess, you know, part of part of what I was ho- going for was that I wanted to reclaim that as something that I did. And that was important to me and not just something I did, you know, in my marriage. So I, I talked mm. to a neuroscientist at um, the University of Kentucky. His name's Nathan DeWall. He also looks at loneliness and addiction and grief and things like that. And um, he said the great thing about planning an expedition is that you're engaging your frontal cortex. You're engaging your um, executive network. So you're actually forcing your brain sort of out of the crazy emotional chaos and into something that requires you to, um, you know, use your more evolved brain. So there are psychological benefits in planning an expedition. And, uh, you know, this this trip required a lot of planning, obviously. And also, you know, I would say that while, while I was in the middle of it, I mean, there were certainly incredible moments of joy and happiness and peace. You know, I, I well, one thing about being alone is that you really hear the sounds better and you start like kind of making friends with the wildlife. <laughs> you know, so I would see these great blue herons every day and I would talk to them. It was like, whoa. I felt like I almost had this like call and response with these animals. So, I mean, that sounds a little kind of woo-woo, but, um, you know, you, you're able to connect, I believe it. right? You're able to connect to something yeah. um, and, and, and feel, I guess, in some ways that you're not alone, even when you are. Florence felt a deep sense of joy and comfort during her time on the river. While she could feel some big changes taking place, her blood test said otherwise. Regardless of the results, she was determined to keep trying different interventions in pursuit of healing her broken heart. Some of her methods were tried and true, like a good old-fashioned rebound. Some of them were a little bit more off the beaten path. So by the third time point, after which I had done some other things, (laughs) <laughs> in addition to in addition to the wilderness, I did some other interventions, um, including um, I actually um, with a therapist did some psychedelics. I did a psychedelic experience, which is also you know there's a lot of science now or emerging science that 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 can be really helpful for emotional trauma, and that was actually super helpful for me. And um, I envisioned, actually envisioned my ex-husband as um, sort of part, I I envisioned myself as a tree and that he was this um, sort of vine wrapped around the trunk in a way. And and so he was part of my trunk, 
but I also wanted him not to be strangling my trunk anymore. You know, I it, it, under the influence of these substances, I was able to say, can you please unwind? Can you please not be a strangler fig? And you can like go down to the roots a little and you can hang out there, but I don't want you to restrict my treeness. And it, it sounds so hokey to talk about it, um, but it was a really powerful experience for me. And I was able to sort of better, I think, separate myself from the marriage after that experience and also to feel just less sort of scared about the future. You know, I I just was in a place where I was like, whatever happens, happens and I can handle it. And in fact, you know, the dramas of my heartbreak and sort of my personal experience are not that big a deal, you know, in the scheme of the cosmos. Like it just helped put things into perspective for me. And gave me, you know, I think some some more bravery. So that, so it was a win. I think that's so true. And I think that that's kind of why we go outside in nature. If you look up, exactly. the rest of the world feels big and you can feel small. You can be like, okay, this isn't such a big deal. You know, there was the rebounding. And I think that was super helpful for me too. With one man, we paddled out to an island in the middle of the Potomac River And we spent the night there. And I'm not even sure which state this island is in. I don't think we were really supposed to be on that island. But it was a really cold night. We ate a lot of peanut butter. And that was kind of an unusual, I would say that was an unusual romantic date. Um, There was hanging out with friends, you know, being social, spending time in nature with friends, which I did sort of on a daily basis, practically. So that the point, I think our last blood draw was like two years after the split. And by that time, actually, my immune system was looking much better. I'm really happy to say. So I was putting out less inflammation, which is, you know, related to all these chronic diseases. And I was putting out more white blood cells that fight viruses. And actually, it was just, it was like maybe a month or two before the pandemic started that we did that last blood draw. So I was really... um, I felt very reassured that I was I was now perhaps in a better place to fight viruses than I was right after the split. How did you negotiate all this with kids? It's one thing if you don't have kids. It's another thing when you have kids. Like I know when my mom started dating, it's different because my dad had died. In some ways that was easier because he was gone. So like, but in, in other ways we were like, you know, I was... I don't know how old your kids are, but I was 11 to 13. And so I was like, you know, like, who are all these strange men, mom? Yeah. I (laughs) I wanted my mom to date someone cool. Eventually she found someone cool. Like, yeah, that one, he can stay around. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, so these days, most parents share custody 50, 50. So um, my kids were teenagers. They were 13 and 15 when we split up. So I would have seven days to myself and I would has, have seven days as sort of a full-time single mom. And uh, at first I was really, really sad about that arrangement because I really missed my kids when they were gone. You know, I didn't want to miss half of, you know, the holidays and the birthdays and the celebrations and the just, you know, time with them. But there was also <laughs> this feeling when everyone left the house of like, oh, I have all this free time that I have not had in like a decade, you know, to go do some things I want to do that I don't get to do, you know, I, and, and some of that's just like sitting in the bathtub and reading, 
which I love. And some of it's like going out and exercising and having more time to do that and having more time to be with my friends. Um, and, and yet, so there's some time for dating. Let's just say, yeah, there is. I had a mom who remarried the best guy ever. And for me, like I saw that growing up and it was so positive and had my not, my dad not passed away. I think my parents would have been divorced and it would have been really ugly. Mm-hmm. But I think the point is, is that with a new partner, you can have a new life. Or even, let's be honest, without a new partner, you can or without have a, a new partner. Life. Exactly. I don't think the the Prince Charming narrative has to be the only one. And I'm pretty resistant to that. I mean, when I was writing my book, people kept saying, oh, you've got to like, you've got to go end it, you know, with with some great new relationship. And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't have to end it that way. You know, not everyone's going to find that. I don't know if I'm going to find it, you know, when I was writing the book. And I feel like there are a lot of ways to love and there are a lot of ways to be loved. And, you know, Mm. it's not always going to be a romantic love. Any advice? There's going to be a lot of people dealing with heartbreak or loneliness. I know they're different, but they can be somewhat similar. Yeah, they can. Grief, rejection, loneliness. I know they all affect us. Yeah. I'm so, I mean, loneliness in ourselves does look a little bit like a threat state. So um, I have this three-part kind of plan for recovery, which I could kind of summarize. And the first is just you need to kind of get calm because if you're in a fight or flight state, you're not really going to be able to heal and you're not going to be able to do all these helpful things. So first you need to figure out how to kind of just calm down, you know, and, and for me and for a lot of people that is being outside and it's moving, like moving our bodies, you know, doing things like engaging our executive network. So, you know, planning something or even just asking yourself what colors you're seeing or what patterns you're seeing or what birds you're hearing, you know, all of those things can kind of help you get out of your deep emotional place. So calming down is number one. And then two is the connection piece. So whether you're connecting with nature or with art or with beauty in some way, and there's a lot of science actually that I get into in the book, um, showing that beauty can be kind of part of the recovery cure. And then the third piece is purpose. So if you can try to figure out how to make some meaning, you know, from this tragedy you've been through, like how has it maybe helped you think about yourself in some ways that are constructive, right? And not just destructive. How can you help other people going through pain like this? What can you take moving forward, you know, from your heartbreak that can provide some purpose and some meaning? Wait, what were the three again? Will you tell me one more time? Yeah, so the first one is calm. And then connection, and then purpose. Florence managed to turn the trauma from divorce into a new source of meaning in her life. It took her three years to write Heartbreak. And in that time, she learned a lot. She loves alone time, she's more comfortable with uncertainty, and she's able to see the beauty in the everyday. Breakups are painful but we can all get through them by finding a sense of calm, connection, and purpose. Florence, I loved this interview. Thank you so much for being such a joy to interview. I love your research. I love your book. 
I loved hearing about your experiments and your adventures. Please, please, please do yourself a favor and get Florence's new book, Heartbreak, a personal and scientific journey. There's also an incredible enhanced audiobook. It uses tape from the interviews she conducted during her research and has the actual voices of her therapist, her best friend, her sister-in-law, and even a couple of boyfriends. You can find Heartbreak at your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstores and online. If you want to be in touch with Florence, go to her website, florencewilliams.com. That's F-L-O-R-E-N-C-E-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S. You can also follow Florence on Instagram at Florence999 to see what she's up to. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Annie Fassler and Sylvia Thomas of Puddle Creative, and our senior producer is Chelsea Davis. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we love it when you follow the show, rate it, and review it wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas.